snow this morning, and, and I literally thought my, my ears and my nose were going to fall off. It was, it was painful. It hurt. Um, that's, that's, a, that's not the kind of snow and stuff I like. <clears throat> um, looking, at, uh, looking at everything, you know, I, I, I usually will throw out some things that have to do with um, what's going on societally and, and um, politically and everything that has to do with the church and stuff like that. But, you know, just, just seeing all the stuff that's, that's being pushed so strongly right now, and literally in the first few weeks, of um, of the this new administration, all the the stuff with that's attacking uh, unborn babies, that's attacking uh, human rights. Uh, not human rights as in from the way society looks at it, but human rights from the way God looks at it. God creates you in His image, and so you, when you see things that are are about um, pushing all the uh, LGBT stuff, this is extremely harmful to people. This is this is not helpful. Society thinks that they're doing things that are beneficial, but they're not. They're, they're hurting people. They're locking people in to mindsets and mentalities that are, that are spiritual. Uh, th- this, is, this is one of the great lies that is being told to our country right now from Satan. Although it comes, it, it filters through politics, but that somehow that you can choose your gender, that somehow there is more than two genders and and that uh, you, you, you choose your sex, uh, no, you're born with your sexual preference, and, uh, and so you need to be that way. I mean, all this different stuff that happens, th- this stuff is Satan trying to, to bind people up and control them and destroy their lives. And so part of our responsibility is we've got to be light. We've got to stand up against the darkness. And I think that's primarily done through prayer, but then I do think there is the other side of this kind of stuff, which is you've got to figure out how to... to Push against it in whatever arena that you have. Guys, I think it's becoming more and more important that, that being light in society means you've got, to, you've got to say something to people. You've got to be speaking to people about this. Now, I'm not a, uh, <clears throat> I'm not a carry the signs, you know, downtown kind of thing. I don't think those are wrong, by the way. People, what do you call it, picketing or whatever. I, I don't think there's a wrong thing about that. I think that has its place. It's just not my personality, but... Uh, but I do believe in talking to people and, and, you know, not getting up in people's face, but letting them know there is a better plan than, than what's hurting you. There is a better plan than the trap you're in and the bondage you're in. And so, so it's, I think it's just becoming more and more of, a, of an issue for us as the church that we have got to be light in this dark world. We have got to be. With everything that is, that is it's, if, from the highest office in our country, it is being pushed um, all these things, all of this stuff that is so evil and so dark and so demonic. And uh, so we have to be able to push back and stand up. And, and again, I do believe that the, it, if you pray the, the basic thing, pray for justice and pray for truth, uh, people will be able to see Jesus through these kind of things. So, so I've been <clears throat> saying this for a few months. I've been kind of going over this, this uh, what it means to be the church and truly to take responsibility for the kingdom of God <clears throat> and to carry the kingdom of God. Just to put it on your shoulders and say, I'm going to do, do everything that I need to do for the kingdom of God to move forward. Don't expect anybody else to do it. Assume, assume you're the only person on the planet that is responsible for the kingdom of God moving to the next generation and to carry forward and to broaden and to develop and all this other kind of stuff. Assume you're the only one. That's the same concept in marriage. Assume that 
that 100% of the responsibility of the marriage lies on your shoulders, not, not the other person. And as long as you do that, you, the, the uh, chances that your marriage is a healthy marriage is actually pretty good. And so <clears throat> we need to do this with the kingdom of God. Not, not that there's guys like me, uh, professional pastors and things like that. I mean, church is built too much around a handful of people in almost every church setting. You've got, you've got a pastor, you've got a handful of leaders, and they, they do everything, and they plan everything, and everybody else just kind of comes and watches and, and maybe participates every now and then, but mostly spectates. And uh, we've got to shake that. We've got to, we've got to loose ourselves from those chains, as Isaiah 52 says. Uh, you, you've got you've you've to fight this kind of stuff. And you take responsibility for the kingdom of God. And so the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about forgiveness. In fact, we talked about this a, a long time Wednesday night, too, most of Wednesday night. The last part of this and the idea of forgiveness, that, uh, that forgiveness really is uh, relationship. Forgiveness is relationship with, um, with God. And, uh, and, there, and it's trust in God. The, the, the last part of last week, that the forgiveness is faith. It's a trust in God kind of thing. You're trusting him with who you are and this kind of stuff. And I understand that um, forgiveness is difficult. Uh, there's no human alive that doesn't need to work through forgiveness uh, on different levels. And, and, there, and it's not easier for some people than other people. But I do believe the more that you get God's word in your mind and your spirit, the more that it makes it open to you, the more that you are open to the Holy Spirit wanting you to forgive and wanting you to do some things. And so you have to, you have to think like that. Okay, God, what are you saying now? What are you doing with me now? How do, I, how do I forgive this person? If you're talking to God, it makes it easier. If you're going down that road, it makes it easier. You can, you can actually forgive um, easier because you're forgiving. The more you forgive, this, this came up Wednesday night, the more you forgive, the easier it is to forgive. Because the Holy Spirit begins to soften your mind and your heart. He begins to open up your spirit to the reality of who he is and forgiveness for you and these kind of things. So with this, um, I, I want us to go to these kind of the last two things. And I think these are, these are uh, huge things um, for all Christians. Now, some, some of us are going to struggle with one of these two and, and more than the other. Or, or you'll understand as we go through this. But the... the you have to remember that forgiveness is an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's a worldview. Are you going to be a person of grace? Are you going to be a person that forgives others or are you not? You have to, you have to think that way. You have, to, you have to be a person of grace. Do you believe that grace is important? Do you believe grace is important to you? Do you believe grace is important to others? That's a mindset. Do we have a repentant mindset? That's a, that's a worldview. If we have a repentant worldview then we're, we're, we're going to be walking with the Lord the way that we need to be. We're going to be covered with the blood of Jesus. We're going to be walking in grace. And, and it should make it easier for us to do things that God has asked us. And one of those is we've got to forgive other people. And so just as a reminder, I read this scripture a couple weeks ago. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. We've got to forgive other people. In verse 11, Matthew chapter 6, Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins. As we forgive, uh, have forgiven those who sin against us, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I know this is not an easy scripture, but it's reality. Jesus is saying here, if you don't forgive others, you can't be forgiven. 
You're stopping up grace. And if you can't be forgiven, that means you're, you're not on your way to heaven. You're hindering your relationship with the Lord. You're not this bride that is, that is doing everything they can to, to be ready for the groom to come back. You're holding a whole area of your life and saying, nope, I am not forgiving that person. And I've had people say that to me, you know, in, in times when they come to me and they're struggling with this and we talk about forgiveness. And I've had people say, I am never going to forgive that person. I'm never going to forgive them. Because that's a very dangerous place to be. Because what you're saying is, I do not want forgiveness in my life. I am never going to have forgiveness in my life from here on out. That's dangerous. That's eternally dangerous. So we have to remember, if we're going to be who God has called us to be, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit develop us and make us into what we're supposed to be, we have to be forgiving people. We have to forgive others. Now let's go to the, to the two things I want to look at today. Is that we've got, to, um, we've got to forgive ourselves. Now I'm going to read some scriptures. More like a, uh, a proofing thing. More like an apologetic kind of thing. I want to read down through some scriptures. But here's, here's the reality for these scriptures. You have to embrace these by faith. I can give you scriptures all day long. In fact, I just cut it down to these. There's... there's there's hundreds of scriptures throughout the Bible that have to do with God's forgiveness and what he does and how he forgives us and how it, he forgets it and how he pushes it from the east to the west. All this other kind of stuff buries it in the bottom of the sea. I mean, there's all kinds of scriptures that tell us that we are forgiven when we are covered with the blood of Jesus. And it's amazing how often I did this and how, how many times I've had conversations with others that they can't forgive themselves. They can't let go of something that they've done. Or, and the way that I've heard it, hundreds of ways I've heard it, but one, one of the strongest themes that, that I hear is, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad uh, I was. Or, I mean, all these different kind of things. Guys, at some particular point, we have to embrace Scripture and by faith, believe it, and apply it to ourselves, not just to others. We have to embrace Scripture. So Psalms 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. This, this, the reason I'm reading these out of Psalms 103 is because these are the strongest ones for me over the years, um, back in the day. I, I don't struggle as much as I did um, a long time ago, but I used to really struggle the first, <clears throat> I would say the first five, ten years I was a youth pastor. I struggled being in my mind, thinking that I was forgiven. And the reason is because it was how I looked at God. It wasn't how I necessarily looked at me. Some people struggle with forgiveness because they, they, they struggle with how they look at themselves. Okay, um, <clears throat> I know I had done bad things and all this kind of stuff, but it was more of the way that I looked at God. Let, let me read this again. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I, I really struggled. I knew the Lord was, was the unfailing love kind of thing. I knew that. But this slow to get angry, I did not see God that way. I, see God, I saw God as somebody that was very angry all the time. That's, that's the way I perceived the Lord. I, I, I thought this is the way I looked at it. Jesus died on the cross for me. So therefore, now this, this is exactly the opposite of what Scripture says, but this is the way I thought about it. Jesus died on the cross for me. So therefore, he's watching me every day, very critically watching me every day, all through the day, waiting for me to mess up and, uh, and abuse his um, sacrifice, who he was, to, um, to, to take it for granted, to, to attack him. Or whatever. That's the way I looked at Jesus. I couldn't, 
I couldn't process the fact that he was slow to get angry. I, I, that, was my, that wasn't my worldview. It's not the way I understood things. And then he continues on. He will not constantly accuse us and remain angry forever. I, that is the opposite of the way I looked at it. I thought the Lord was constantly trying to accuse us. But you know, this is the weird thing. I knew this in my head, but I couldn't get it into my spirit. That Jesus is the one who stands for me before God and defends me before my accuser, who is Satan. Jesus is not my accuser. He stands before God between um, the accuser, which is Satan, and, and God. He stands there and defends me to God. I really couldn't process that. I, the way I looked at it is Jesus was the accuser. He was constantly trying to catch me doing something wrong. He was constantly bringing this before God and and I was having to ask for forgiveness, not, not because I, I believe in a very uh, repentant mentality, lifestyle. I believe we're supposed to be um, a repentant people constantly. It's what Scripture says. But, but because we have relationship with the Lord. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do something that's not pleasing to you. I want to try to please Him. I want to try to always let Him be changing me. That's not the way I used to look at it. I used to look at it. The reason that I was repenting is because I, was, I, I, had, I had said something I shouldn't, so now I'm on my way to hell. I couldn't understand grace. I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand that, the, that Scripture says that grace covers a multitude of sins. I couldn't understand that. I literally thought, you do one thing, you're on your way to hell, and uh, Jesus is just trying to catch you doing something wrong. I didn't see the relationship side of it. I didn't understand that. And so he says, he will not constantly accuse us, nor remain for, uh, angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He doesn't do these things. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You understand this was written even before the cross. Jesus' blood makes us right with God and forgives us so completely it's never to be remembered again. Now here's the reality. For each of us individually. You have to decide whether you believe that or not. I, I really struggled with that. I really struggled with that. A lot, there, of course there was a lot of legalism. In the, in the arena that I grew up in. In the church. But really there's kind of that everywhere in the church. I mean you got some churches that are just. Eh, God doesn't care about anything. That's, that's not the norm. Okay. Um, we, we fight legalism. Well, I had to fight it in my own spirit. Do I believe that the Lord is not accusing me all the time. Do I believe that or not? I had to decide, do I believe God's word and apply God's word to me or do I not? Do I come up with my own rules of what forgiveness is? Which is what we do. We, we build our own criteria for forgiveness. For us, not for others. Well, well, sometimes, we talked about this Wednesday night, sometimes we do that for others. That's how you judge people. That's how you... That's how you um, uh, attack what God is doing in somebody else's life is you start redesigning the parameters of forgiveness. Well, you have to do this and you have to do this. Whatever. But here's the reality. God's word is very clear. Do you apply it to yourself? Do you apply it to others? You make that decision. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. He's not perfect and he knows it. Although he's probably a lot closer to perfect than than most people, right? But he's saying, that's, that's not something you can do. You can't reach perfection. He says, but I press on to possess 
that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Jesus fills me with his presence. He, he, he fills me with the Holy Spirit. He saves my soul. He covers me with his blood. So what is my response? Lord, you've given me everything here. You, you sacrificed yourself. So I'm going to press on toward perfection. I'm going to work toward perfection. I know I'll never be perfect. That's not the point. But I want to try with everything in me to be as close to you as possible and to do all the things that you've called me to do and created me to do. I'm not just going to be lazy and float through life and think it doesn't matter. I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to give my best. And this is what Paul is saying. But I press on. Even though I know I can't be per perfect, I press on to possess perfection. I try as hard as I can. Not out of a guilt thing, but out of a, a relationship thing. Why do you... Why do you try to be a good friend to somebody? Because you care about the relationship. Why do you try to be a good spouse? Because you care about the relationship. You care about the person. This is what Paul is saying. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, talking about perfection, but I focus on this one thing. Now, this is the key. This is how you focus on this perfection mentality within Christ Jesus. You're pursuing Christ. That's the point. That's what he's saying. And this is how you get there. This is one of the ways that you that you take forward steps. I do this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the guy that makes all the mistakes, forgetting all of the junk, forgetting all of the sin, all that stuff. Not in a way that, you, that you're bound to repeat it. You know, if you don't, you know, those that don't um, study history are bound to repeat it. You understand that mentality. It's the same with us. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, that I, when I, as I'm pursuing the Lord, as I'm pursuing perfection, the way that I do that is I realize that he has forgiven me and I don't have to be bound up as that old person. I don't have to be trapped in that old person mentality and that thinking. I can move forward and be who Christ has created me to be. But if you're held back by all the stuff, that's why I, I mentioned the scripture just a little bit ago in Isaiah 52. Um, Isaiah 53 is the, the, the scripture that we always focus on. You know, he was wounded for our transgressions and that. Okay, but, but I was reading through, uh, just reading scripture one day, and, I, and as I got to Isaiah 52, I realized an amazing thing that he starts off with in the first few verses of Isaiah 52. He says uh, this, this powerful statement, different translations are different, but this is basically what it is. He says, I loose myself from the chains. I, 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 I let go of all of the chains that are holding. I'm the one who unlocks the chains and lets them fall and lets them drop. I lose myself. Guys, this is what he's saying right here. I, I, for, I push forward and strangling me, and I look forward to what the Lord has got planned for me. I look forward to forgiveness. I look forward to walking in grace. I look forward to, be covering, to, to being covered with the blood. But if all we can see of ourself is who we used to be, you're going to stay right there the rest of your life. Now, I, I've met people before, I've pastored people before that, are, that work hard at not letting go of their past. It's their identity. The, the horribleness of who they used to be is what they talk about the most instead of what Jesus has done for them. Who am I in Christ right now? Sometimes I believe you've you got to, to give part of your testimony is this is who I used to be and you need to explain that to people. You need to talk to people about that. I get that, and, and, and you don't want to uh, pretend like it never happened, or you're, you will go back there. But I also know that the, the way that somebody 
recognizes that Jesus can save them is when they see that Jesus has saved you. Talk about that. Look forward. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Where are your eyes set on? My eyes are set on the, the direction before, the, before me, the, um, the, the end zone, the finish line. I, I want to I cross that line. I don't want to just stay where I am and be trapped. I'm going to get up and I'm going to run toward the end of the race. You understand the, the mentality here, right? Uh, Psalms chapter 32, verse 5. Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. This is a great sentence. He's saying this to the Lord, right? Finally, I stop trying to hide my guilt. Here's, a, here's the weird thing. We all know what this is. We all know how to do this, and we're all fairly decent at this, okay? It's interesting that we think we can hide things from God. We think we can hide junk and sin and stuff like that. We, we also think that we can hide our feelings from God and our mindset from God. Now, Jesus has died on the cross, and he forgives us, right? We know that to be true. He forgives us. But, but we don't believe it in our mind. We haven't accepted it into our spirit. And somehow we convince ourselves that I can walk with this guilt all the time, even though the Lord's word has done all these other things. And we're, we're literally um, denying the reality of Scripture. And we think we're good. We think somehow we can hide that in our mind and in our heart. And that, that it's just like an area that doesn't exist for us. Same way with not forgiving people. We think we can do everything and right and, and that, that we're walking with God the way we're supposed to. And, and, we, and we're hiding all these things. We do this with sin. We do this all the kind of stuff. But one of the things that I found that we also do is after Jesus has forgiven us, after we know that we've been covered with the blood and that we're right with God, we still don't feel that way. And so we don't talk to God about this and we hide our feelings. Right? So I, th this is one of the things that I've, I've done with people when I'm, when I'm if, if, I, if I get to the point where if I'm witnessing somebody and I get to the point where I pray with them to accept Jesus, I will ask them afterwards, um, do, you, do you believe that you're saved? Do you believe you're forgiven? And, and a lot of people say, sure, that's, this is amazing. You know, that, and, but I've had many people say, no, I don't feel forgiven. I don't think I'm forgiven. Well, see, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says that anybody that um, believes on the Lord will be saved. Anybody. And so I, I'll tell them that. I'll say, you know, the Bible says this. I ask them again. Well, let's pray again. And then I ask them again. Um, do, you, do you think you're saved? Do you feel saved? No, I don't. Well, I, I mean, I've prayed with people four, five, six times. And I don't know if at the end they really feel saved or they just don't want me to keep praying for them. But... But that's that's important thing is, do you really think you're saved? Do you really feel like you're saved? Because one of the things that happens when you're saved is you, you know, you can feel. There's what we call the inward witness. You can feel what the Lord is doing. You can sense on a on a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical level. You can feel the forgiveness of the Lord. That's, that's one of the things I don't think we talk about a lot in the church. 
Nowadays, there's an inward witness and an outward witness. Another thing that happens when you get saved is you begin to act that way around other people. Your life begins to change. But what we've learned to do, and guys, this is specifically for people that grew up in the church. We, we stifle some of that kind of stuff. Because we've sinned so much, or however you process, or I've done this, or it, we stifle the reality that the Lord is doing something within us, and the Lord is doing something without, uh, outside of us, with us, that, that we stifle this stuff sometimes. But let's look at this again. Finally, I confess all my sins to you, and I stop trying to help hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. So here's the question. Do we believe that? Not we as a group, but do you? Do you believe that for you? Forgiving yourself is as important as the Lord forgiving you. You, you have to embrace forgiveness by faith, but, but you can also hold on to it. You can pray the prayers, and I believe that Jesus forgives you. I believe that you are good. I, be, I know I, I'm, I'm describing this for myself. You're covered with the blood. You're right with God. You're walking with Jesus Christ, but you don't embrace it for yourself. And so in your mind, you're not forgiven. In your heart, you're not forgiven. Because for some reason, when Jesus died on the cross, he had a rule for everybody else, and then he had a rule for you. And the rules for you were much more difficult than the rules for everybody else. You had to do things to earn your salvation. You had to act a certain way to earn your salvation. You had to stop doing these things for a certain amount of days. I mean, I did all this stuff growing up. I did all this stuff as, a, as an early adult that, that I felt like I had to, to fix my salvation myself so that then Jesus could forgive me. I felt like, and then after he forgave me, I still felt like, well, but I didn't do this and I didn't do this and I need to do this. I never really could, I mean, for years, I can now, but I, it, it took me a long time to really embrace, I'm forgiven. Why? Because he's God. Because he loves me. Because he's got a plan for me. Because his blood is that powerful. Because he sacrificed himself as a perfect spotless lamb that had never sinned. It's all about what God did. And I could not process that he could just forgive me. As we have to go there. Now again, it comes down to what do you believe? You have to make the decision. You can, you can get 50 more scriptures about the exact same thing. Jesus has forgiven you. He's forgotten the sin. He's covered you with the blood. He's done all these things. At some point, you have to say, okay, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. I am forgiven. Why? Because he made it so. I am forgiven. God's not mad at me. He's not walking around upset. Think about this. If God was mad at you, you wouldn't have a chance anyway. If he was really mad at you, really mad at you, look at what he did to, think, to people in, in the Old Testament. If he was really mad at you, you wouldn't have a chance. You'd be, you'd be toast immediately. So, so stop thinking that he's mad at you. Stop thinking the way I used to. Stop thinking that Jesus is trying to catch you doing something wrong. He's not. You've got plenty of wrong. He's trying to forgive you. He's trying to wash you clean. Not just in your spirit, but it needs to be in your mind too. You need to accept it. That he's trying to wash me clean. He's trying to forgive me. Stop fighting this and let him forgive you. I know that's difficult. Um, like I said, I struggled with this for years. But one of the things that I did 
is I had to change the way that I looked at Jesus. I've, I've said this before, I think it's been a while, but um, one, of the, one of the more profound things, this was in the, uh, this was about 1994, somewhere in there, and, and somebody had left a picture of Jesus on my desk, my office, and I, I don't know who gave it to me, I don't know who put it there. But I came in and there was this picture of Jesus, and, and you can find it online, I found it at different times, but um, it's, it's, um, it's Jesus, just, just his, his uh, bust here, and, and it's Jesus with his head reared back and he's laughing. And somebody left that on my desk, I, probably because from some messages I was preaching or something, but uh, they left that picture of Jesus just laughing, and, it, and it, it, it's, I sat there for a long, long time and just looked at that picture. I had never thought about Jesus like that. I'd never thought about that. That's why I talk about things in Scripture now that I understand, now that I didn't understand before, that you, you take the disciples were about 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, you know, we always show them as these old men, but that, not, not with the time of Jesus. Uh, they were young, young men. Okay? Part of the reason we know that is uh, 40 and 50 years later, they were still doing ministry. Okay? They didn't start out as 50-year-olds, right? So you got these 18, 19, 20-year-old boys, basically, that have been choos- chosen by Jesus to be the disciples. Two of them were working for the dad, and they left their dad. I mean, think about it. They're young guys, okay? You, you put 12, let's just say 19-year-olds, you put 12 19-year-olds together, and you think that they're not going to be goofing around and wrestling and messing with each other and making fun of each other and doing all kinds of stuff that guys do? It's an impossibility. That's... that's but I had never thought about it. I had never thought of, that they had fun, that they were people. Now, Jesus is this 30-year-old hanging out with all of these 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Do you think he stood around all the time going, bless us all, bless us all? You know, he's right there in the mix, and he's goofing with them and joking and stuff. I couldn't see Jesus that way until I saw that picture of Jesus laughing. And for the next couple of years after that, the Lord really worked on how I looked at, at him. How did I see God? God made humor. I've had many people over the years tell me that I should not use humor from the pulpit, that it's disrespectful. Well, Jesus used humor. You can see many places where he said funny things. Plus, it's who I am. Why would God make me this way, call me to be a minister, and then ask me to be something completely different while I'm speaking than I am any other time? Which, by the way, I know a lot of pastors that are like that. Who they are, why they're preaching is totally different than who they really are. They turn into something else, right? They turn into King James, for one thing. But, but the idea of humor and stuff like that, that's who God is. That's who he is. It took me a while to, to get that. That's why I struggled with forgiveness, because I thought he was accusing me all day long. He's not. I thought he was mad at me all the time. He's not. In fact, this is the conclusion I came to over time is I don't think, I, I said this, our, our, our previous children's pastor, you guys um, been around here a while, you remember Mary and Anthony. Anthony was a very funny guy, very, very funny guy. And one day I was, uh, we were joking around and I said, oh, I a lot, doesn't she? And he said, no, she really doesn't, but man, she sure gives me the disappointed face a lot. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's really kind of how more, like who God is with us. I think when we're doing things that we're not supposed to, God's just disappointed. He, he's not, I don't think he's angry with us most of the time. He, God does get angry, we know that. I don't think he's angry with us. I think he's disappointed because why? 
We're missing our potential. We're not, we're not giving it our all, and that's who he created us to be. And it's disappointing. I, I, I tried to explain this to my kids a thousand times when they were growing up. They would say something, and I'd say, I'm still proud of you. How can you be proud of me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't, I, whatever the case, you know, activities, the school, sports, whatever the case. Well, I didn't do this. What you do or don't do has nothing to do with whether I'm proud of you. Zero. My, my kids couldn't understand that. But my, uh, my, uh, some of my adult kids still struggle with this. What you've done doesn't define you to me. I know you. I'm your father, and I'm always going to be proud of you. Sometimes I'm going to be disappointed in the things that you do and the things that you say, but it, but it doesn't change my heart for you. I mean, you can pull away and not want a relationship with me, but I'm always going to want a relationship with you. And, and, and kids, until they, until what's the magic moment they begin to realize it, understand it? When they have kids. That's the moment. My, my oldest understands things right now, and he tells me all the time. How, I, we talk to him, well, we talk to our granddaughter every day, and he's there. And, uh, and sometimes we talk to him. So, but he'll, he'll tell me all the time, he said, you know, Dad, I said this this morning to, to, to my granddaughter. Um, he, he said, I said this to Eloise, and he said, I, I stopped right in the middle of the sentence because I realized I was you. I was sounding just like you. And he said, so I just stopped talking and walked out of the room. Because he's still at the place where he cannot be me. <laughs> he drives him crazy. Uh, he looks in the mirror and he sees me. He hates, he hates that. But, and I love it. But, uh, you know, we, we, that's the thing is, is you try to explain something. And until you have kids, you don't understand and God really loves me a lot just because he loves me a lot. That's it. He just loves me a lot. Let me read this last sentence again, two sentences. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So here's the next part of this. First, we've got to forgive ourselves. Guys, this is a big one, too, is we've also got to forgive God. For us to be who we're supposed to be and forgiveness work the way that it's supposed to work, we've also got to forgive God. And here's one of these things that growing up in the church, when I, when I first started thinking, processing this, and, and then developing it and speaking about it in messages, I was, already, I, I was already a pastor of a church. I didn't understand this stuff when I was a youth pastor and into it because of the church culture. The idea that you could actually verbalize certain things to God was off the table when I was growing up. You did not talk about certain things. In fact, we talk about this at our men's rally uh, last week, and we talked about it at men's breakfast again uh, yesterday. The uh, some of the understanding of sexuality and and um, and and some of the traps and temptations like pornography and stuff like that. The church just didn't talk about this stuff forever. I I never heard about this stuff in the church. And the first time I began to really speak about this stuff as a pastor, as a very young pastor, um, I was nervous. I was scared. I uh, I, I had a sermon. I titled the sermon this because this is the way that I process it, and I was scared to death, but I knew, I knew God was leading me. But, but the title of the sermon was, um, Your Pastor and Your Grandparents Have Sex. <laughs> that was the name of the sermon. And I knew when I get up and people were going to be like, I, I don't think this is going to be a good morning, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because we, we don't talk about that stuff in the church. And when, we first, when I first started talking about it, it was, I mean, this was 25 years ago. It was very taboo, very taboo. Here's something else that we don't, that in the church, we were taught, at least when I was growing up, this was very, it was so strongly ingrained, we didn't like hear teaching, but it was, this was, everybody knew it. 
you weren't allowed to get mad at God. Because God's holy, you're not, and you can't say, but here's the thing, here's what the truth is. We got mad at God, but because we didn't think we were allowed to, we didn't ever go there and talk to God about it or anybody else about it. We didn't pray about it. We didn't look in Scripture about it. And so we just pretended it didn't exist. And then it builds up in our minds and our spirit and, 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 our, and our attitude toward God starts being changed over time to then it's very difficult for us to pray for stuff because we just assume from the get-go that God's not going to do this for me because He doesn't like me and He's not going to take care of me. And that is not be, that, that we build that up because of our ideas of God. Instead of talking about it. I, I've said this for years as a pastor and, I, and I've taught my children to do this. Um... If you're upset at God, tell Him. He already knows. He, he knows every thought you have. He knows everything going on within your heart. If you're upset at God, tell Him. Now, here's a strong suggestion, okay? Since He's the God of the universe and He's the judge and He's all-powerful, I would do it with respect, right? That's kind of a given, be respectful to God, but there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I don't think you treated me right. I don't think this, God, I prayed for this to happen and it never happened. Lord, why? Talk to him. He'll tell you. Here, here's some things that we know, but sometimes it doesn't get from our mind to our spirit. We know in our mind that God is completely just. He's completely righteous. He's uh, completely loving. He, he's he has our best interest in, in, at heart. I mean, all these kind of things. He is, only, he is only doing good for us. You can go down the line of all these different things. But when you're really seeking God for something, this is very important to you, and it doesn't happen, or the opposite happens, or whatever, it attacks those mindsets. It attacks only within you. It doesn't do it in a real sense. But within you, it attacks the sovereignty of God. It attacks the justice of the Lord. You're saying, if you're a just God, why did this happen? The same question you get, if God's a just God, uh, why are our children starving? Why, I mean, you can, why did that earthquake take out that whole city? You know, that kind of thing. We know that. We all have those thoughts. But then it happens to you, and it gets even worse. God, if you're a just God, why, didn't, why aren't you answering this request that I have? But, we're not, but we feel like we're not allowed to say anything to God about it. God, you could have rescued me. I've had this conversation with people that were being abused as children. Why didn't Jesus rescue me? Why didn't he? Why didn't he and you can design it in your mind however you think rescued would have worked. Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he take me out of that circumstance? Why didn't he stop this person from doing this? Why didn't, and what happens is we start to build up resentment toward God. Well, God won't. Or God doesn't. Or... God's, in, in fact, what we do is we start developing mentalities of deism. And uh, deism is a mentality. You know, you know, a lot of the founders, our country's founders, were deists. They had, a, they had this mentality. And this will kind of make sense. You know that God was heavily involved in their thinking and, their, and the, like the, the, the Constitution, all this other kind of stuff. But here's, a, 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 here's an understanding. A lot of them were deists, at least partial deists. And what a deist is, is somebody that believes that God, it's like... Um, it's like God takes the earth 
and he spins it like a top, and he gets it all going, and all the things are happening, physical laws of nature, all this kind of stuff. And then he kind of sits back and watches. He's not actively engaged, but he's watching. He's making sure that nothing just crazy, uh, horrible goes wrong, and he's just kind of waiting to see how it all turns out. So therefore, he's not actively, intimately involved in our lives. Okay, That's where an idea of predestination can, can hold very strong. God already predestined everything to happen, and you're just kind of on a raft floating down the river, and you're at the mercy of the river. That's deism. Um, I, I don't believe deism, but I have acted that way before in my life. I know Jesus wants a personal relationship with me. Jesus came to this earth and put on human flesh so he could walk around and talk to individuals, so he could pray for individuals, so he could uh, teach individuals as groups, but it was about the person. It's about the individual. It's about you and it's about me. Well, I know that, but when the Lord doesn't do the things that I think he needs to do, that gets attacked in my world. So John chapter 11. And uh, I'm, I'm going to pull a part of this story out. The story you know, is, is much bigger and it ends up with Lazarus getting uh, raised from the dead, right? Okay, but look at this. Here's an important thing to note, too. Right before this in the scripture, uh, Mary and Martha, Lazarus is getting sick. Uh, Mar- Lazarus is sick, and Mary and Martha sent some people to Jesus and said, uh, Come quickly. And Jesus drug his feet, and he didn't rush there. Okay? When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he, t- he was told that Lazarus had already been dead uh, in his grave for four days. Now, part of the reason that scripture makes sure that we understand that. It's because they want you to know for sure that he was not mostly dead, but he was totally dead. Right? You know, Princess Bride, mostly dead? No, he was totally dead. Why? Because we do this sometimes. We think if it had been just a few hours, you know, all of the, we, we would have said, well, you know, he wasn't really dead. His heart rate had just dropped and all this kind of stuff. They had wrapped him up, put the spices all over his body that was part of the, um, the, the burial stuff that they did. And uh, put him in the, in the uh, tomb and rolled the stole over the tomb. He had been in this tomb now for four days. He's dead. There's no doubt about dead. Okay. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. And look at this. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Who is Mary? When do we see Mary and Martha before this? Mary is washing the feet of Jesus with her hair. She's she's taking perfume and pouring it over. See, this is when Martha gets upset and says, uh, Mary, why don't you help me come cook and all this other stuff? All you're doing is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus and you're just enthralled with Jesus. Jesus is everything to you. And Jesus says to Mary, Mary, Martha, I mean, he says to Martha, Martha, don't you realize that I'm not going to always be here? Mary understands the priority is me. It's not cooking the food in the kitchen. It's me. I'm the priority. And Mary gets it. Mary is is overwhelmed with Jesus' forgiveness and grace and all the things. And and they were very close to him. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very close to Jesus. As close as probably like best friends with Jesus. Okay, But when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Why? She's upset at Jesus. 
She's mad at Jesus. She's offended by Jesus. She's hurt by Jesus. Jesus did not do what she knows he could do. She had seen Jesus heal so many people. She knew Jesus could heal. But he didn't come to the house. He didn't even come over there. Now, here's the cool thing is Jesus is about to go way beyond and amaze everybody there. But she didn't know that yet. I've seen the same thing in my life. Jesus does some amazing big things sometimes. But I've been upset because he didn't do what I thought he should do and didn't do it the timeline. And I didn't realize he was going to do some amazing things. Josh and I were talking about this this week. Talking about they, they just got a new house and beautiful house. And uh, they, they, um, we were sitting there talking about it. And, and, and I was talking about how God, is, God blesses us so, so much sometimes. And we didn't even think about it. And he said, you know, I sit and I pray and I talk to God and I think, God, I don't deserve all the things you're doing for me. I don't deserve this wife. I don't deserve these children. I don't deserve, you know, th- this house. I don't deserve this church. I mean, you go down the line. And I, and I told him, I said, Josh, that, I thought that for years and years and years. And I don't know what to do with it. That sometimes you just think, God really has blessed me way beyond what I deserve. I mean, think about it. Anybody else ever felt that way? Right? God, God's just blessed you. But then we go through the difficult times when we forget all of that, right? We forget everything, and now we're mad at God. We're mad at God. I, I've said this many times before. I'm good. If that's all he ever does, I'm good. That's more of a blessing. And then, and then God gives me grandkids. And I'm like, in comparison, I don't even like my kids. I, I don't, I mean, I love my kids deeply. They're my, they've always been my best friends. But compared to grandkids, it's like my kids are complete strangers. These grandkids are the world. I didn't know this. Somebody just said that to me this week. They said, you don't realize the amazing gift grandkids are until they come around. And you're like, how did I live life without this depth of love? Right? There's nothing better. We, every single morning on the way to, to my son takes my granddaughter to school, granddaughter and grandson. And on the way, he calls and we talk to my granddaughter. Sometimes, sometimes she don't want to talk to us. And sometimes she, we're not singing the right songs. And sometimes she's upset. But for the most part, it's fun. And, uh, and, and there's nothing better. She did this last night. Um, she had to go to bed. And I was talking to her right before she went to bed. And so she said, Papa, I love you. I'm like, that's it. That's all I need. It's my whole world right there. That's all I needed. I could do without food and water. Guys, think about this. Do you realize that the Lord loves you way more than that? He loves you so much. And it hurts his feelings when you're upset at him. He's big enough to handle it. I don't think he gets angry at us. But it hurts his feelings. Why? Because he just loves us so much. Every time, he wants us to just every day wake up and just hold our arms open and say, God, I love you. Let's just, let's just hug for a while before the day starts. And God's like, that's what I want. And we get upset at him. When we, we hold things against him and we're bitter sometimes and resentful. As we have to let that go. We have to let the Holy Spirit wash us. Just flush all of that stuff out and help us to forgive him. And the way I think you do this is you've got to ask him about it. Lord, 
am I holding something against you? He'll tell you. He'll show you. Mary stayed at the home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here. See, even Martha's upset. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever he has. You know, that sentence right there is a, is a placating sentence. You know that, right? She's not thinking that and feeling that. She said that because she's supposed to say that. God, I, I, I mean, Jesus, I know God will do whatever you ask. And Jesus is about to raise him from the dead. And so Jesus says that to her, and she doesn't believe it. Take the time and read this whole story tonight. He, she doesn't believe it, even after she says it to him. God, I, Jesus, I know God will give you whatever it is. Well, I'm about to do this. Yeah, I know. If you would have been here, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he does it. And the only thing Martha could see is, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, she says that twice, if you would have been here, as at some point we just have to let go. Lord, help me just to forgive you. Why don't you stand with me? So the two things, the two separate things, forgive ourselves and forgive God. And I do think that those kind of sometimes are intertwined, not always, but they're intertwined. Forgiving ourselves and forgiving God kind of work together sometimes. So I don't necessarily know exactly how you're going to do this. I know how I did it and have done it and still do it. And, um, and so to, to give you that, this is, this is the simplest foundational answer. And then you have to work out from here on your own. Is if you pursue God with everything about you. I mean, you really pursue him, not just doing the church thing and not just, you know, the trap the church has been in so much in America for 50 years plus. Is we just do church. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, pursue him, go after him. Relationship, build that relationship. Think about the last time that you said to the Lord, Jesus, I love you. I just absolutely love you. Think of those kind of things. When's the last time that you went down that road and that you just spent some time just really building that relationship, that, that depth of love and intimacy with Jesus? That's the starting point. Then after that, you have to ask him some questions. Lord, have I not forgiven somebody? Have I not forgiven myself? Have I not forgiven you? And then listen and, and be honest with it. If you feel the Holy Spirit, when you say, this, this is what I said a couple weeks ago, if you say, uh, Lord, do I need to forgive somebody? And somebody's face pops in your head, you need to at least go down that road. There's a reason their face popped in your head. Okay? It could be just the way you know you hadn't forgiven them at a different time, and so they come. But, but at least pray about it. Same thing. Lord, ha have I forgiven myself? If you, if you say something like that and, and all these thoughts coming in about what you've done or how you look at this or how bad you've been or the Lord, you know, then, then go down that road. That's how the Holy Spirit's going to do that. Go down that road. Lord, help me to forgive me. Am I worthy? Am I not worthy? If you don't think you're worthy, that's because of Satan is messing with you and you need to talk to God about that. That's, that's a demonic thing that Satan is trying to do against you. He's trying to tell you you're not worthy. We know we're not worthy in a scriptural sense, but once we're covered with the blood, we're worthy. Then the third one is, if you say, Lord, do I have anything against you? Be honest, be open. What is, what is happening in your mind and your spirit at that moment? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Be honest with the Lord. And then just pray about it and start doing some things. God will show you some scriptures. Show you some. All of a sudden, somebody will recommend a book to you. I mean, I don't know how it's all going to work, but, but let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let him speak to you and, and clean, clean up, clear up our mind and our spirit with all this stuff. Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, 
God, we just need, um, we really need this grace, this amazing grace that you give. Lord, we need that to cover us. And God, move through every part of our hearts, lives, existence, thoughts, everything. Lord, we want grace to, to forgive us. We want grace to be in our lives so we forgive others. Lord, we want the truth of grace to be strong and evident so that we embrace forgiveness in ourselves. God, I pray right now, anybody in this room that's struggling with that, Lord, break the strongholds. Lord, help them know they are forgiven. They're forgiven. Lord, help us not change the rules and make it more difficult to be forgiven. You said if we just ask you and we believe, if we confess that you are Lord, that you forgive us. So every one of us covers with your blood, but Lord, help it get down into our soul, the knowledge and the reality of being forgiven. Lord, let it be so in the name of Jesus. But I'm forgiven. not to fight against it. Help me not to second guess your love or your grace, your mercy, your blood. Lord, I am forgiven. You might need to tell him that. Lord, I am forgiven. Lord, I am forgiven. You forgave me, so I am forgiven. I ask you to help us. Lord, help us. We need help with this right now. That we don't want to be resentful towards you, God. Regardless of what has happened to us, you're still God. You're still loving. You're still amazing. You're still the Redeemer. Lord Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Mary and Martha were still upset. Until they saw that, they were trapped. Lord, I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be trapped in my own ideas or my thought that you didn't come through or you didn't answer or that you failed me somehow. Lord, I know, I know that you're perfect. Lord, it doesn't feel like that sometimes. I know that you're just. It doesn't feel like that sometimes. So Lord, I ask you to forgive us. Just clean. In Jesus' name. Lord, help us to be people of grace so that when we talk to other people about you, it's, it's felt, it's known, it's there. That grace is real and that we're living by grace. Grace is in our minds, it's in our hearts. We've embraced your grace for us. When people know that, they'll sense that. God, I pray that you give us a, a chance to let somebody know that you love them this week. God, I also pray for people that, that don't have a place to live and are homeless. Lord, I, these, temperatures are, these temperatures are crazy low. Lord, I know you love everybody. Some of your kids are out on the streets. So Lord, protect them. 
Give him a place to be in, in the warm. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Before noon tomorrow. It's so cold it may take till noon Tuesday. You're going to have an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Let's tell somebody about Jesus this week. You don't know what the next week holds, so tell them about Jesus this week. And just let God bless you with that. It's an amazing gift. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And uh, hopefully we see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your, your cool day.